0: Raise of hands. How many of you guys are tired this morning? Oh, okay, great. Great. I knew that would happen. You know, it's got to be a little cheesy. This is, uh, it's not going to hurt, I promise. It's just a little icebreaker. Can I just get four people? Four volunteers. Just real quick in the morning. So come on up. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> Leading the way. That, that's, that's leadership right here. This is the leadership. Just uh, three more. Three more. It's not going to be painful, I promise. All right, brother Jerry. in the back, Jerry, brother Jerry. All right. Yeah, be yeah. Arm wrestling. No, no, it's not arm wrestling. Two more, two more. There It's not going to be painful. Come on, you guys. Come on. All right. All right, my brother. All right. All right. Okay. Oh, oh, we can have one more. Five. Actually, actually, five is good. Oh, no, 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 five is good. Come, come. come what's, uh, oh, Danny, let's give it up for Danny. <laughs> nice. Sisters. Sisters, come on. You've got to represent sisters. All right. Okay. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Okay. This is just something we do. Oh, come back, come on. come back. Yeah, come back, No, no, come back. All we're going to do, all we're going to just to wake up, um, we're going to just model what you do to relax. So you're going to model something, and then you're just going to follow. Easy, right? Simple. Okay, so what do you do to relax? Show us something you do to relax. Okay, everybody, let's do that. Oh, that's good, huh? That's a good one. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay, how about you, man? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the camera pose. Yeah, do a little robot, you know, if you want. You know, do a ro- I've never seen that one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a first. But Sam. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. Okay. A remote. Okay, that's the different. That's a yoga pose. Okay, all right. Oh, uh-huh. so, uh, okay, <laughs> I, I, I've never seen these three. <laughs> or, <laughs> what is it supposed to be? <laughs> like stretches, or like, you know, oh like, like. It's like I'm one of the. Wrong, yeah, yeah, no, that's not wrong, but okay, take us home here. Oh, that's a good one. Massage wow. the, uh, well, the person behind you. All right, all right. Okay, let's give him a hand. Wow, I never, I guess. People over 40, it's a different pose. <laughs> the kids, um, I've never seen those. I always learn something, you know. So. well, Today's uh, title is going to be Awakening at the Well. It was at the well until I found out the theme of the retreat. So, Awakening at the Well. <laughs> so, the great Miley Cyrus says, people in this industry think, I just got to keep getting more money. And I'm like, what are you getting more money for? You probably couldn't even spend it in all your lifetime. People get more famous. that They can make their brand more famous. They can sell more stuff. They can make money. It's a never-ending cycle. And getting more money, having more hits, being the lead in the movie, those things might stimulate you, but they don't make you happy. I've experienced it already, and I'm telling you firsthand that it doesn't work. The great Bob Marley says, Money is numbers, and numbers never end. If it takes money to be happy, your search for happiness will never end. And uh, Veruca, you guys know who Veruca is? I think that's her name. I just want an umpa Loompa, screamed <laughs> Veruca. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Cameron Diaz, was she on Friends? Oh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Cameron Diaz? <laughs> so, she's blonde, right? Okay. Oh, crap. Okay. Well, Cameron Diaz, sure, money is a necessary tool in our world. And while it doesn't have to be this way, as things currently stand, we do need it to survive. That being said, if you're constantly searching for money, material wealth, or fame, because you think it will make you happy, you're sure to be disappointed. If we join the search for possessions and other external source of happiness, we'll be searching our entire lives. And the great Jim Carrey says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. Anybody in this room make more money than any of these people? If you do, keep your hands down anyways. <laughs> I'm just assuming that you don't, right? Well, these folks have made all this money, had the fame, and this is something that they said in a moment in their life of probably uh, desperation and when they had this lethal absence of hope. You know, whether you're rich or poor, life's not easy, and happiness is the most tired word in any language. From the moment we're born into this world, we're born with this disadvantage of being born into an imperfect world, searching for the meaning of life. No matter how much we try to run from pain and disappointment in life, we will be exposed to it. I know for some of us, you know, we grew up a little sheltered, but I can't imagine you grew up with life without any disappointments. If you did, please talk to me, because I would love to meet you. I have not met anybody yet. You know, I have one job in the morning with my son Noah. Anybody know what that job is? Sometimes he gets fed, but that's not the main job. The main job is to get him to school every morning. So every morning we're almost late as we pull up to the curb, and he jumps out of the car, and he's running to the, uh, the fence. His little ninja backpack goes up and down. And as he runs up over the fence, he turns around and he waves high, and then he walks in. So one day, Noah walks in the fence, and a guy picks him up, and he's holding him and just his eyeballs moving. And I'm like, what the heck? So I go ask him kid, and I say, what are you doing to my son? And he lets him go, and he leaves. And Noah's eyes eye about to cry. And I was like, Noah, you should have, like, did a little uppercut or a little choke. I was like, why are you doing that? And what I realized is that even if something simple is that Noah is going to run into different pains in life. And what I wanted to do with Noah was I wanted to wrap him in bubble tape and send him out into the world. So that as things come, the bubble tape pops, but he's okay. But what I realized is that I can't do that with Noah. That no matter what happens in life, he's going to run into trials, and he's going to run into challenges. As a parent, I want to protect my son, but I know that I can't all the way. And I know that eventually Noah is going to be searching for the meaning of life. And I know Noah is going to go to many empty wells looking for answers only to be disappointed. I know that he will be searching for the meaning of life. Do you know what institutionalized means when somebody goes to jail and they become institutionalized? Does anybody have an idea? Somebody has been to jail so many times that they actually find comfort in jail or they get used to it. that It's no longer foreign to them. Would anyone agree with the statement of people are born to go into jail to be comfortable? Heck no, right? Somehow a person keeps going over and over and over again. A jail becomes a place of familiarity and comfort. And when they get an opportunity to go out in the free world, the free world becomes foreign to them. I think human beings can become institutionalized. I made that up the other day. I I'm so proud of that. <laughs> a little flesh, No, don't clap. Please don't, clap. No, don't <laughs> clap. don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. Don't clap. <laughs> that is my fame to life. That, uh, somebody probably had it, but I, I was institutionalized. Oh, that works. Just for Jericho Road Church. First time coming out right here. It was a very similar process. That for people who go to jail, they get used to it, but becoming institutionalized is going back to the same empty well over and over again, only to be left dry. It's almost to become frozen in sin. Albert Einstein says the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You know, I heard this story from a pastor I was talking to, and he says this very uh, well-to-do Korean gentleman was asking him the meaning of life. So we asked him back. He says, well, what's, what's your purpose in life? He goes, well, I worked really hard and studied really hard to get a good job to go into this amazing neighborhood. And said, then what? Well, then if I go into this amazing neighborhood, then my kids can go to a great school. Well, and then what? Well, I imagine if they go to a great school, they can go to a great college. And then what? Well, if they go to a great college, then they probably can get a good job, hopefully. And then what? Well, I guess if they get a good job, they can move into a good neighborhood so that their kids can go to a good school. And then what? I guess if they go to a good school, they can get a good job, and it's the same thing over and over again. And the man realized after living 50 years of his life, he was still unsatisfied, and the very thing he was passing on to his children was the very thing leaving him dry, asking the question, what's the meaning of life? It's not bad to live in a good neighborhood. We live in Anaheim Hills, and actually on a stump. We didn't make it to the hill, but we're in the, the school district, so it's, right, it's good. That's what we should do, if you can. If you can provide the resource, you should do it. It's not bad to do that. But the goal should be to pass on a firm faith in Jesus Christ that if in the moment of despair, your children or ourselves should lose any of those things, that we could still, stra- still strong- stand strong. As parents, if Priscilla and I can raise our children, especially our daughter, Hope, who's 16 now, in a blink of an eye, if we could pass on to her to really hold on to her identity as a precious child of God, and she goes into college and into marriage with a firm faith, I think we would feel accomplished. And at the end of it, my flesh says I need you to do this, this, and that to become successful, and I hope she does that. But in the end, if she doesn't obtain all that, that her identity and her self-worth would not be determined by her accomplishments. That The determination of her self-worth would be determined by the way she comes before God in her vulnerability and her desperation for his love. And I think this true meaning of life comes from the well. When, an answer comes when this woman meets Jesus at the well, when he offers her the living water of Jesus Christ. So John four one nine is a passage today. And I'm sure you guys have heard this story over and over again, but uh, just bear with me. It's one of my favorite ones. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sitchar. I think that's what it's called. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well is there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus left because the Pharisees were trying to put Jesus and John the Baptist in competition together, so he took off. So I'm going to dry dry throat today. And most Jews would have stayed away from going through Samaria, but Jesus decided to go through. Jesus and his disciples traveled to this place Sichar, and Orthodox Jews had a deep hatred for Samaritans. Samaritans were mixed with Jew and Gentile, and they were rejected by Jews, so they started their own community and started their own religious services. The Jewish people were so offended by these Samaritans that they actually began to curse them, that even in their prayers they were hoping that they would be cursed. And Samaritans just wanted to fit in, but because of their half identity—half being Jewish, half Gentile—they weren't allowed to be a part of the larger community. So they were like, "All right, cool. If you don't want to accept us, we're just going to do our own thing, do our own religious activities, and we're going to just be over here." So the Jewish people were like, "Don't go in. The, don't go in that part of the town. You don't want to go in that part of the town because those people are not like us. They're dirty. We don't want to associate with them." But Jesus decides to go through there. And as he goes there, he meets this woman at the well. And she recognizes immediately that Jesus is Jewish. He's not a part of where she's from. And not only that, it was inappropriate for him to ask her for water. And as he's speaking to her, she's like, why is this guy talking to me? Like, do you know who I am? Like, what? Like, she's so thrown off. It's such not a cultural norm at that time. And as he's talking to her, you know, he she's curious on why jesus is talking to her and he's asking her for a drink so she's trying to figure out his angle she's like why would this person talk to me and then jesus so eloquently and strategically begins to pursue a conversation with her and as he confuses her as she's going about her regular day jesus begins to say woman would you give me a drink and i really appreciate that about god when jesus approaches people he's very strategic he's very compassionate very empathetic and what he does is he equalizes the table in conversation he says look i just want to connect with you and as you go on in 4 11 through 15 it says sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living oh jesus said her, if you knew sorry guys i don't have my glasses on today too where are we 10 jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Is it also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So as Jesus is talking to her, he's offering her something more than what she's been drinking. He's saying, look, I'm asking you for water. What I can offer you is this living water. So she's like, What the freak is this guy talking about? So if you imagine she's going on her day, Jesus meets her at the well, and not supposed to talk to her, and then he asks her for water. She says, You don't have a bucket. And he says, Look, if you knew what I was asking for you, if you knew what I was offering you, you know you would never thirst again. If that happened in real life, you would think that person is crazy. So she's like, What the heck is going on? And what she doesn't realize at that moment is that Jesus is offering water for her soul. You know, in 2017, we have lots of different types of water. We have Avion water, we have Sparklets, we have Arrowhead, we have Smart Water, all these names. But back then, it was just water, right? So when Jesus said, I'm going to offer you living water, it's not like now, right? Oh, yeah, living maybe it's a brand of water. She's like, what the freak is this guy talking to me about? And as in her confusion, Jesus is saying this. He's simply saying, Whoever drinks of the water of this world will be thirsty again, but whoever takes one drink of the water of the Spirit will thirst no more. And you guys have probably heard this passage before, but it's really true for us today. You know, for me, after all these years even being a Christian, I thirst so much and I keep going back to all these empty wells. I don't know why I keep doing that. Well, I imagine there might be something else over there for me, and all I have to remember is what the, thir- the living water that Jesus offers us. How many of us go through the same routine day after day, week after week, month after month, feeling empty and dry? It's torture when Jesus is actually offering you living water. It's like Jesus is saying, look, Steve, you've been through all this in your life, and I have this for you. You're like in your 40s now. You're on your second half of life. You should be wiser now because you've been through all this. But I want to offer you this living water. I want you to completely experience it. I'm like, where's your bucket?" I don't need a bucket. I want to offer you something. Oh, but you know what? The well's so deep, and you know, like Jesus, you're God, and I'm we're so. Deep. How can you come to someone? He's like, dude, fool, just take the living water, and I want to transform your life. It's taking me still 40 years to f- not even figure it out. You know, I'm like, where's your bucket, Jesus? Can you imagine how many times he's heard that? He's probably a big old bucket when you go to heaven, right? So like, here's the bucket. And like, oh, there's the bucket, you know? It's like, what the heck, right? then Jesus begins to convict your heart. I think before you could take the living water, your heart has to be convicted. You see, if there's a place in your life right now where you feel that you've already overcome sin completely, then I think Jesus has to convict your heart because you can't see anymore. Any non-sinners in the room? Just curious, you know. Anyone think that they're non-sinners? Maybe a few hands, right? Many times I think I'm a non-sinner because I can't see my sinfulness. Priscilla can probably see all the time. (laughs) But that's what Jesus does to her. He begins to convict her heart because she didn't know. She's going on a daily routine, day after day after day. She was an outcast. She's had multiple husbands. During that time, that's a no-no. Had multiple husbands. Some say, you know, she was a town hoochie or whatever it is, right? Day after day, going to the well, doing her thing, day after day, day after day, right? How tired must she have been? And Jesus says, look, I want, to, I want to offer you this living water, but the first thing he does is he convicts her heart. So she's like, "Okay, well, I want some of this living water." She still has no idea what she's talking about, and she's like, "Okay, she's asking me." He goes, "Where's your husband?" "My well, husband? What is this guy? A prophet or fortune teller? What is this guy, right?" And she got all quiet. That's right, because you've had five husbands, and the person you is not your husband now. How do you think that she began to feel when Jesus began to convict her heart? You guys ever get a situation where somebody says something or you get in trouble and you get that like feeling? Maybe not. I've had it lots of times. <laughs> Start feeling like, oh, I'm in trouble, right? It's probably like maximized uh, from that little feeling, you know? As it begins to convict her heart, her art begins to be open to the work of the Spirit. This woman had a reputation, talent has used goods, and she didn't have a lot of respect from a lot of people in the town. In her discomfort, she tries to change the subject. She goes, oh, um, you know the religious Samaritans, Jewish, she begins to change the subject. Anyone ever do that? When you're uncomfortable, you change the subject. Kids do it all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in here, she changes her subject. She says, sir, I can see you're a prophet. And then after she says that, well, our ancestors worshiped on the mountains, but you Jews claim that place. You know, it's worship in Jerusalem. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship neither Father nor on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. Your Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. So he's breaking down what she's saying. He says, yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So in her un- com- being uncomfortable, she tries to change the subject about religion. And she says, oh, yeah, and he breaks it down for her, and he's talking to her, and he's talking to her. And this is what he comes back with. And the woman said, oh, yeah, I've heard about it. I know the Messiah called Christ. He's coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. She didn't have a theology background. The Samaritans' uh, religious theology was all messed up. But one thing she did know, in her limited amount of knowledge, she knew that a Messiah was coming. It was her hope. See, every day she went to the well, Life was, there was a serious, what's it called glass ceiling where you can't get through? Um, There was a serious glass ceiling for her, and she was just living life, living life. But she had this one hope that a Messiah would come, even in her messed up theology. She tries to change the subject. Jesus breaks it down. As he's sharing with her, as he's breaking it down with her, she goes, Oh yeah, I've heard about that. I I know a Messiah is coming. And check it out. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Mic drop. Right? Can you imagine? She's like, "Yeah, I'm going to my daily life." And this guy comes. He's breaking down the religious things. He's talking about the differences. She goes, "Yeah, I know, I've heard about it. I heard the Messiah's coming." And Jesus looks at her and says, "That's me." We're face to face. What would you do if that happened to you? I don't know. probably like faint I don't know. Cool, right? <laughs> Fall at the feet. I don't know. I have no idea. What would you do? The truth of it is that this situation that we see happens to us today is just not as a physical form. We're not going to the well, not doing all these things. But the truth of it is that Jesus is right here with us. That if you really wanted this, that you could meet him at the well, and Jesus says, I am here, I'm here, I'm here to save you, I'm here to give you freedom, I'm here to give you salvation. But I think for me personally, I've heard it so much over the years, even as a little kid in VBS, junior high, uh, uh, high school, I went to missions, I did all this stuff, I hear it so much that I forget the reality of it. And I think if Jesus was to say, I am here, I'm here to save you, I'm here to, uh, here's a living water, and if I could really embrace it, I think it would radically change my life. Even as, as Jesus was talking to this woman, his disciples come back from getting food. You know what the disciples said when they saw Jesus talking to her? They're like, why are you talking? Jesus, come on, man. Like, you know who she is? Why are you talking to her? Right? And Jesus goes, look, I want to send you off. Okay? Go, go to your town. And she goes back. She actually drops her jar and runs back to the town to tell the people that she met the Messiah. And through her testimony, the Bible says that many in the town Samaria believed and saved. You know, I love that about God, that God uses broken people to impact the masses. See, when they saw this woman come back to her town, I can only imagine that every day she's going with her jar, going back to her jar. Nobody talks to her, going back to her jar, Well, doing all that stuff. But this one particular day, after experiencing the living water, she probably went to town and was like a different person. And people were like, dude, what's up with Nancy? That's not her name, but Nancy or whatever, right? She's so different. And through her testimony, he says that people were saved. And Jesus stays a few days and he goes to Galilee. He didn't have to go through Samaria. But he ended up over there. You know, the truth of it is that all of us are women at the well. And at many times in our life, Jesus offers us this living water and we say, where's your bucket? It's like, God, "Where's, where's your bucket? What do you have? And I think as I'm getting older, as i um, dying of thirst up here because whatever's what my body in the morning, right? It happens when I was younger. I think as I get older, I think I'm realizing that the game in this life is never to return back to that empty well. That no matter what that past life has done for me, the game is never to go back to that empty well after have tasted the living water. It's more than just going through a change in life because when people change in life, they can go back. But the game is to be transformed. Once you become transformed, you can't go back. So, when we work with gang members at Project Kinship, kids change, they come back, and change, they come back. But once in a while, you'll see lives transform. And transformation, you can't go back. Some of these kids have come from these horrendous places, and I can't. It's mind boggling how they can change, how they can transform. Most of them change, they go back, change, they go back. But once in a while, you have these amazing superstars that transform, and they're like, I'm never going back to that life again. I've tasted what success looks like. I've tasted what love looks like. I've tasted what support looks like. I've tasted what it felt like to have a father figure, even though I didn't have a father. And I never want to go back to that old life. And even if I have to die, I'll never go back. And the life becomes transformed, and they never return back. But the majority always go back, and they go back and forth. I think with Christians, you know, I used to look up to people all the time. And that's my flaw. time, I always look at the people, oh, is he better than me? Oh, are we equal? Are we and what I realized is that I've seen few Christians that have really been superstars, like the game changers that have completely transformed. And it's amazing to see how they live their life. Pastor Sam has been doing this for many years. Right? I've learned that Pastor Sam's not perfect over the years, but I know he's been transformed. Because I can't imagine that he would ever go back to his old life. Has he ever told you his uh, shoe story? He told, did he tell you that one? Powerful, right? He's tasted that life of what an empty well looks like. And why do you think he stays in this? You know, he took a, a, a few years off before coming to you guys. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what was he doing? You know? And he waited on the Lord to bless him with this church to be with you guys. You know, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do all these things that. You just have to be able to embrace this living water and be changed and allow God to work through you. You guys ever heard that song? Um, I'm not a singer, but, uh, the I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You know, I don't really like hymns, you know, but I you know, like Hillsong and stuff. But, um, Do you guys know the history behind that song? Anybody know? Here's the history of a transformed life. There was this man who took his family in the middle of the 19th century through the efforts of the Welsh missionary, and he went to this village. Nobody were Christians in that village, and he goes up to the chief, and he was trying to minister to them. And the chief, in his um, lack of knowledge, uh, decided to threaten the family he says, look, if you don't denounce Christ, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family. What would you do in that situation? I don't know what I would do in that situation. yeah. You know. And then he changed it on me. He says, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance to denounce Christ. All I had to say was, okay, you know what? We're going to go. My bad. Like, Sorry for bothering you. You know, yeah, I'm going to check you back next year, you know. But he didn't do it. I'm thinking, why did you just do it, man? You could saved your family's life, you idiot. Like why? I think I would save my I think I'll come home, and repent, and then maybe go somewhere else. Right? <laughs> That's okay too. I think you know. That can speak retreats stuff. So. <laughs> Empty well, right? You got to keep it real, right? You got too much time. Lack of time now to not keep it real, you know. He says, "Look, I'm going to tell you one more time." Denounce you know Christ, and he goes, "I cannot do that, my friend." Well, then I'm gonna kill your family in front of you. Okay. And after he does, it, he says, "Well, do you want to live or die?" And I can understand he want to die after his family gets killed. He says, "Look, denounce you know Christ." And the story is that as they were killing him, his response was, "Though no one joins me, still I will follow." His wife was killed, and he was executed while he was singing the cross before me, the world behind me. And as a result of that situation, this display of faith was reported to have led to the whole conversation of that village and the chief. That's the story, you know. If it's a true story, what an amazing story of what transformation looks like, and what an amazing story of how somebody who tastes the living waters, life transformed it so much where he says, everything I have, God, is few." Nothing that you, everything, that, all of my blessings that I have, that doesn't belong to me, and I give it all to you, God. And where you send me, I will follow, because I've decided to follow you, no turning back, no turning back. I don't think God's going to call any one of us to go do that, but God calls us to do a few different things. When he gives us children, the call, I think, is to raise them up in the way of the Lord. When he blesses us with the great education, is to take the education and use it to the best of our ability to bless God when it gives us an amazing neighborhood to live in, is to utilize a neighborhood to bless others. That our mindset becomes, everything I have has been in the empty well, but everything, God, you give me, it belongs to you. And because it belongs to you, God, I'm going to live the second half of my life to the best of my ability to serve you. This is what the living water Jesus is talking about. I think that's where the mic drops. I love, love God because it's really close to my heart that He chases after people who are sinful. And this is a mistake that I've made the majority of my life. I've also separated myself from the haves and the have nots. Now after having have a little bit, I realize we're actually all the same. I used to think, God, how could you save a gay member like me or a drug addict hanging on the cross with him? And you know, I'll be right another way to hang on the cross. And I used to think, God, I'm so bad, I'm so... And this is true. I'm not going to deny it. How could you save someone like me and you chase after drug addicts and you chase after all these people, but the reality is God just chased after sinners. And that's all of us in this room. But in the story, I like that he makes the example he chases after this adulterous woman and he offers her that she's never had before and he made an appointment with her. There's nothing this woman had to offer Jesus except every pain, every trauma, Every abandonment that she had. And after she tasted the living water, her life was radically changed and was filled with purpose. And she surrendered to a loving Savior who pursued her in her sin. So I take it home, you know, I want my kids to live with this. I want them to know that in their failures, disappointments, and sin that God pursues them. And I want them to never run from God, but always run to Him. And it's a very difficult thing to do. I think the easy thought was running to God is easy, but as I'm growing up, I realize that running away from God is a lot easier than running to Him. Because I think when we run to God, God embraces us, but He'll also convict us of our sin. It's a difficult thing. I've learned over the past three years how much ego, pride, anger, jealousy, all these things that I've covered up, how much I really have, and it's heartbreaking and it makes me tremble and it makes me feel vulnerable and it makes me hold a bucket saying, God, how can I follow you? But the truth of it is we're all human. And the truth of it is we're no different from that woman at the well. But the choice is would you allow yourself to taste a lick of the living water and it will transform your life. It's not that hard, you know, in in theory. And I think about my kids. I think about hope. You know, Priscilla and I tried to raise her up the best that we could. Kumon, you know, said every day. She she teaches there now, though. You know, she goes, "I hate Kumon," but she got a job there. I was like, "Thank you, God." (laughs) She could have worked at the mall, but Kumon, really? Like, all right, like seriously, that'll work. You know, we went to Anaheim Hills Church planted. Probably could have prayed for her more. We loved her. We Priscilla's. Priscilla grew up in the hood. You know, we don't really talk about, but. She didn't have nothing growing up. So she was, I'm going to give her everything that I didn't have, you know. Um, I was a little more selfish. I was like, no. We did all that. But two, two, three years ago, I heard one of the most devastating news a father could hear of what their daughter went through. And I'll tell you that at that moment, that none of this mattered. None of it mattered. And after experiencing that, yes, she'll go to college. She'll become a great person. But after experiencing that, what I realize is what I want her to have is this amazing, precious, firm faith and relationship with a God who loves her and pursues her even in her own sin. That if I can relay that to hope, I know that Prasanna and I did a great job. Because in my family growing up, I didn't see that and Priscilla, when Hope has kids, she can pass it on to her children. And that the genealogy of our family will be one that pursues God and, and one that continuously goes to this place of having living water. And that's my prayer for myself and all my friends, all my brothers and sisters. And I pray that your community here becomes a culture of a community that shares this living water with each other. I'm not eloquent, I'm not very smart, been through a few things from the top to the bottom, but people are people. And I think for most of us in this room, we're living the second half of our life. And it matters. It matters how you finish. Yeah. It matters how you finish this race. Yeah. We've fought, we've competed, done all these things all the way up to where we are, but the second half to be able to influence our children to finish strong. And that's my hope and prayer. You know, I don't want to come up here, you know. This is awkward, public speaking stuff. But I know that I've got a limited time and I want to serve God to what He's given to me. You know? And so that's my prayer for you guys. Today. Would you join me as we pray and praise team comes up? You know, as we uh, kind of close up this section, would you just take a few moments with me just to pray? You know, I'm so excited for you. Thank you for some of you guys who spent time just to you know, talk to Priscilla, I mean, you guys have an amazing community. Pastor Sam, from the moment he got hired, he was, even through the uh, uh, rigorous interview process, he was like, this is an amazing church, you know. But would you just join with me and take a quick moment to reflect on your own life? Are there times in your life or areas in your life when Jesus asks you, look, I've come here with an appointment with you and want to offer you this living water? (coughs) Are there areas in your life where you're like, no, Jesus, I'm cool. i got this bucket here. Where's your bucket? Well, This morning, I would like just for us to focus on those certain areas where God offers us freedom in those areas, but we're not really let go. Would you just take a few moments just to pray on those areas that God would give you the strength to trust Him and to be able to let go of some of these areas of your life so that you can have ultimate freedom. I think I could speak on behalf of Pastor Seb and Heijin Samun that they want you to have an abundant life in Christ. It doesn't necessarily have to do with finances. If it is, that's amazing. You should tie But if it's not finances, I think it's just this idea of having this abundant life in God. That God wants so much more for us. Just take some time there. Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll uh, close up this morning. God, I pray that in our own lives, Father, we would find areas to be open with you that we would be in a place where we can stand though the world and the devil may throw at us what it will that we would be able to stand strong knowing that you've got us Lord and Father as we navigate life as we get older as we get into our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s God that we would build upon our wisdom Lord that we would build upon our trust in you Father so thank you that you pursue us Father in our weaknesses and our shortcomings that at the end of the day, Father, you offer us living water. Father, I pray that we would be courageous enough to drink this living water, Father, that you have to offer us, and that it would satisfy our soul, and that it would transform our lives, Father, that we would be able to impact people around us, Lord, especially our families, friends, our community, Father. Lord, I lift up Jericho Road Church to you, Father, and I pray that it would be a community of hope, it would be a community of compassion, it would be a community of vulnerability that as people come to this core group here over the next years, Father, that you would bless this church in numbers, Lord. That it would grow in ways, Father, in your spirit, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do an amazing work, Father. That people would be filled with your living water. That as people come across folks in this room, that they would have no other, no other way leaving it, Father, except to be touched by you, Lord. Thank you for this time this morning, Lord Jesus. I